Want to become an AI trailblazer in the product world? Pragmatic Institute's newest workshop, AI for Product Professionals, is your ticket to generative AI mastery. In this hands-on training, learn to master ChatGPT and prompt engineering to transform your product strategies, rapidly create content, optimize workflows, and make razor-sharp product decisions fueled by data. Don't just keep up with the AI revolution. Lead it. Seats are limited. Enroll today at pragmaticinstitute.com slash AI workshop. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris for Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. Today with me, I'm extremely excited to have Mickey Kennedy. Mickey is the founder and president of eReleases, which is a small business leader for press release distribution. They've been in business for 25 years. He is an absolute expert in helping businesses increase their visibility and credibility. And he's here to share some invaluable insights. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to have Mickey is, many of you know, I have been in the marketing business for many, many moons, decades, as I'm a dinosaur, as my daughter says. But one of the places that I've always struggled, where I always felt like there was more opportunity than I was really able to take advantage of, was in working with the media. And so it's like my own, you know, my own hill that I have not climbed. So I've been really, really excited, Mickey, to have you on. So welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Excellent. All right. I always like, Mickey, to start everyone sort of with their origin story, right? Sort of, you know, how did you get the superpower? Why are you so passionate about helping companies with kind of accessing the media better? Right. So I guess about 26, 27 years ago, I was graduating with an MFA in creative writing with an emphasis in poetry. And my career plan was to wait tables by day and write <laughs> poetry by night. And so I did a summer of waiting tables and my, my knees hurt, my back hurt, my <laughs> mind felt like it had been erased each day and I wasn't getting any reading or writing done. So I was like, I need a safe office job. I'm not cut out for, for this, this <laughs> lifestyle. So I got hired at a telecom research startup as employee number three. And because I had writing on my resume, they said, figure out press releases and send them out to the media for us. And so I did that. And I got really good at it. I could, you know, we published a lot of data and numbers and I would take those numbers and, you know, tell a story about why there mm -hmm. are certain anomalies and things like that. And we were getting picked up in the likes of The Economist, Financial Times, Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal, you know, a lot of big publications. It was driving sales and it was driving like a lot of recognition for a startup. And I just said, why aren't other people doing this? It's like completely free. It just takes, you know, creativity, figuring out what the media wants and giving it to them. And so at the time I was faxing and a lot of journalists started to request if I could just email them the releases. We published a lot of data and it was easier to copy and paste in a Word document than it was to work off of a fax. And so that's when the light bulb went off and I just said, email of press releases seems natural. And that was the idea for e-releases. I spent about a year contacting journalists and just asking if I could send them press releases on their subject and beat. And at the time, you know, 26 years ago, most of them said yes. And I launched uh, about 25 years ago and had 10,000 journalists in my database. And I was just a matchmaker. I would uh, hmm. take a client's press release and send it to the journalists that I thought were a good fit. 
And over time, Pierre Newswire reached out to us and liked what we were doing and wanted to, you know, have us part of their distribution. And so each release that goes out through e-releases gets a custom national distribution over PR Newswire. And it's, you know, like a third of the cost of what it would cost if you went directly to PR Newswire. Nice. So a couple of things there that really stand out. I do think whenever, whatever it is that your superpower is, right, it always seems so obvious to us. And like, we can't figure out why other people aren't doing it. It's like, it's easy. You just use creativity. And like, and for some people, like all of that is really hard, but we all just think if we're good at it, it must be very easy and everybody should be able to do it. So I think everybody, (laughs) but it's funny how everyone talks about that with their, their superpower, but okay. So you talked about, you know, honing the right message, right. And really kind of making sure that you, you had a good understanding of what the press release was about. And then you're going to do matchmaking with the press, right? Right. This is not a blanket sell, but a matchmaking. But I, what I really, really want to talk about too is sort of how you hone in on the right message, how you help organizations do that to really like make them irresistible to the media, as you call it. Sure. So one of the first things I do when I'm working directly uh, coaching a client is try and brainstorm ideas for releases that we could do. And we also have to realize that, you know, what the customer wants to focus on may not be the focus for the press release because we have to align the goals of a journalist Mm. who's trying to determine what to share with their audience. And so we might have a new product and we feel it's really important and we want to sell a lot, but is there a way that we can tailor that press release about a product to include enough information that a journalist would find it irresistible and want to share it with their audience? For a product launch press release, you know, it generally is, here's the product and here's a list of features things that you can do to make it more readily usable for a journalist would be to include a case study, a client who used the product, what was their challenge, what did this solve, what were the results, have an amazing quote by them talking about uh, using the product and, and sort of, you know, go from there. Journalists are story builders and you have to always be aware that what you're releasing has to fit the narrative of a story and just having a product and a list of features doesn't develop into much of a story, but having a client who had this challenge and they use your product to overcome it. And here they achieved like a 17% reduction in say transportation costs. And here's an amazing quote by them. You can see that there's a lot more elements of story Mm -hmm. building there that they can work with. Other things that, you know, I I like to do is what's the founder's story or what was the company's founding story? What was the product's founding story? If you realize that, you know, almost everybody that appears on Shark Tank always first introduces their story, how they came to develop the product or the company. And often it's, you know, the human interest story. It's, you know, they saw a problem or they were overcoming an illness or they were laid off from work and they thought about something. It's something that people could readily identify with. And a lot of small businesses as well as large businesses like to appear just completely professional and not sort of peel back the curtain and be vulnerable and share the human interest element. Mm. Sometimes it's because, you know, there's, there's something that's, you know, embarrassing there. It's an obstacle that they overcame. I had one client where they had to cancel Thanksgiving and send out packages because they had gotten swarmed with orders that had to go out that Monday after Thanksgiving. And we included that in a press release. And that was the lead into an article that was two pages long in Inc. Magazine about them. And I think that, you know, the client was really reticent about including what they found really embarrassing. And I was like, no, this is really cool. It's 
something that you went through in the early challenges of your business. And I think a lot of businesses can identify with it. I think that that's why Inc. Magazine picked it and thought it would be a great entry into talking about that company. I love that. There's so many good things there. One of the things that we teach, right, is that you should only build products when you know what problem they're solving. It's the first thing everybody needs to start is to understand their market and the problems they have, right? So that understanding of problems is something we put at the center of everything that we have product managers and product marketers do. But it is absolutely true and sad that we often lose those problems along the way in our storytelling, right? And once that product comes to market and we start to talk about features because we think the features are going to impress the experts, that's not true there. They still want to know about the problems it's going to solve in stories. But it's particularly not true for journalists who don't necessarily have those problems firsthand, right? We have a lot of B2B clients too. So the journalist isn't necessarily having those same problems with their server farms that your clients are. And you really need to make it clear the problems it solves and how painful those problems were for the, the market that is part of their readership. Yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about sending the story out in the press release, like that makes total sense to me as a marketer and a storyteller. I think I would have been nervous that putting it in the press release that you send out to multiple like press would make it less attractive to them. Am I just wrong? I'm okay being just wrong. I think that you just have to realize that, you know, it's not going to resonate with everyone. A lot of Mm -hmm. times it's just timing. You know, journalists may not be under deadline at the moment, so they may not be, you know, looking for a story today on the wire. And, you know, so those that are, it'll be available to them. And I think that just leading with your best angle is the great approach. I think that, you know, developing relationships directly with journalists Mm. is something a PR firm does. And having those is extremely valuable. But I wouldn't discount, you know, just using a press release distribution platform like e-releases because, you know, it can really work in a way that where you don't have those relationships yet. You just yep. haven't, you know, been published by anybody and you haven't really developed that rapport with it with a journalist. And I think that a newswire is a great a common denominator. It's where everybody has equal footing and journalists use it to their advantage. For those who don't know what a newswire is, it's just a place where a journalist logs in. They used to go directly into the newsrooms, but now it's on the web and they can look at their industry feed and they can actually even customize it to make sure that certain keywords are included or excluded and make it really relevant for them. So when they log in, they'll see the most recent headlines that they've selected as their industry um, with those parameters and be able to then drill down and say, oh yeah, this this headline speaks to me. Let me click through and read more about the press release. And so, you know, for journalists under deadline, relying on what hits their email inbox can be daunting and often it's filled with a lot of noise. So mm-hmm. being able to really tailor that on a newswire is a really, you know, valuable resource. And in the US, there's just really two large newswires. It's PR Newswire, which is the oldest and largest, and BusinessWire, which is the second largest and mostly a lot of publicly traded clients. And so there's a lot of other noise out there with companies with wire in their names, but really there's only two large ones. Um, There's a minor one, Globe Newswire, and almost everything else out there is not technically a wire at this point. Hmm. And then you talked about, so when we're doing a release, we want to focus on a story. We want to make sure that we're helping the journalists build their narrative, right? So problem they're solving, the results they see, obviously numbers and stats, just are great. But you also talked about like, they're going to read through the headlines and go, oh, this is interesting. I want to read more. And I can't tell you the number of releases, headlines I've seen that are just like, like just the facts in the most dry way 
you've ever seen. So I suspect you have suggestions for for just even that part, like for crafting a good headline and a good start to your press release so that you get the time from them, the eyes to actually read the whole story. Right. So I think one of the reasons that you see dry headlines with a lot of facts is because when it comes to headlines for a journalist, they are most important. And what's the factual part? You really don't have to be artistic with the headline. You're not writing for the end user. You're writing for a journalist. Mm. And your job is to make it as easy and a shorthand that this is relevant to their industry and that you put forefront what the hook is that you're focusing on. And so I would say that, you know, they do tend to read a little bit dry for that reason. And I think that that's okay. I do have clients that sometimes come up with the little punny headlines that you see, like the New York Post do. And you can't tell contextually what the press release is about. And a busy journalist looking at a bunch of headlines is probably not going to click through with a clever headline if they can't see the facts there that that's relevant to their beat and the types of stories that they cover. That's a great point. What about credibility? How do you really show credibility in your release? So I think that the credibility part is, you know, just being as factual as possible, you know, sticking to the elements that are usually included in a release. You know, you have the headline, you generally want to have an amazing quote in there. Maybe it's the second or third paragraph. An amazing quote is really important because a journalist can build an entire story around an amazing quote. And if they're looking at two stories that are similar newsworthiness and one has like a a quote that just stands out then they're more likely to run with that because they can cover the rest of it themselves, even if it's not a lot of information in the press release and they have to hunt for the story. And what do I mean by an amazing quote? It really varies. I mean, it could be how you said something so succinctly that no one else could really condense it like that. It could be the power of how you said it, you know, Mm. just the forcefulness. It could also be just your creative flourish. You know, you said something in a way that maybe is a little poetic or just beautiful. What you want is that if a journalist just paraphrased what you said in their own words, there'd be a loss. It'd be Hmm. like, ooh, it hurts that we paraphrased that, did not include that original quote. And so that's one of the areas that I do challenge people to spend a little more time with because so many quotes that we get at e-releases are, they look like you know, they've been written by committee and they're safe and they're just not really powerful or say anything. If you took them out of the quote, it would still probably just stand in the story with the same tone and everything. And a quote's a place for you to stand out and say, here's a human talking and I've got something important to say. I love that. That human element also, again, very, I would imagine, attractive to journalists. So it sounds like understanding your message, right? Your problem you're solving and the solution, but also really understanding the journalists and who that audience is. Thinking of them as a persona that you serve in this particular case is really powerful. What else about just sort of fine-tuning the message would you have our listeners think about? Right. So I think that you have to really just give a lot of elements that a journalist may want to have. Most releases are between 400 and 600 words. And you just want to make sure that you're you know, succinct, but not to the point that you haven't left uh, enough information in the press release. That being said, if you're doing a product launch press release, you certainly are going to include a link to the product so they can go and get more information there. You know, maybe link to your website so they can get a little more information there about you. But you really want the press release to be the bulk of where they can get all the unnecessary elements to build out a story. Press releases are written with a top-down approach where the most important elements are first and then they sort of build down from that. 
And usually towards the end of the release, you have what we call a boilerplate where it's like usually about company and then a few sentences about the company. These generally get recycled and used again and again, the same language, though it can be tweaked over time to be maybe a little bit more relevant to that press release. But that's really what they're looking for. The most important elements of a release are often the ones that go into it before they've been written. And that's mm -hmm. like what you chose to write about. What was the hook that you chose for this release? One of the most common press releases that we get at e-releases is a personnel type press release. Mm. There's been yep. a new hire or someone who's joined the board or something along those lines. And they're probably the least performing type of press release. And I think that, you know, from a standpoint of a journalist, unless this person is like an industry veteran uh, that you've tapped and most people are probably not going to be interested in writing a, a story about it. I think that a lot of these get put out there because it makes the, the new hire feel good. But here's a release and you can see it on syndication websites like Yahoo and places that just post the press release. But it really, you know, when you're paying money to go on the wire, you really want to you know, make sure you're you know, fishing with the best bait. And that bait is not a good one. You know, for personnel changes, I feel like reaching out directly to local newspaper, as well as maybe an interest industry trade publication is just a great place to start. Most of them just get like, you know, a little on the move section. That's mm -hmm. like a little, a sentence or two. And so I would focus on that and use, you know, my paid releases for more meaningful types of releases. Understanding that that is not great bait. What do you think makes great bait? I think that the media loves data and numbers and it doesn't always have to be your data and numbers. You know, I've had clients who just take publicly available data and pull it together and, you know, then tell their story with that as sort of anchor points. Mm -hmm. And that works really well because, you know, saying here's a new product and here's what it does. But, you know, introducing it first by saying, you know, 47% of the people in our industry suffer from this problem. And in fact, two thirds of lost customers are because of this problem, you know, and that really sets the challenge there and the obstacle. And then your product comes in as a solution for it. And I think that that works, you know, extremely well. Another element of, of data and stats is to do a survey within your industry. I have coached a lot of clients through this and I've always had it never fail that it gets media articles written about them. And when it comes to press releases, two things happen. Press release gets syndicated on websites, which means the press release is replicated on websites. That's not really important. That's not the goal. What we're looking for is a journalist to write an article, an original article about you. And we call that earned media. And every time I've coached someone to do a survey, they've got at the very least four earned media mm. articles from it. On average, it's usually between eight and 14 for most wow. of my clients. And so a lot of my clients get really overwhelmed and think that this is like an impossible ask, but it really isn't. You can set up a survey with SurveyMonkey, 16 questions, four questions per page, four page questionnaire, usually in less than 15 minutes. The hard part is coming up with really meaningful questions. You want to ask stuff that's really relevant today. So if someone took the same survey in six months, it'd be completely different answers. And you want to ask you know, questions that are sort of maybe hot buttons right now, maybe things that haven't even been published in your industry. But if you were to go to a conference you would talk to other colleagues and say, have you noticed in our industry lately that, you know, clients are now taking 90 to 120 days to pay where it used mm. to be 30 days? You know, that could be a signal that, you know, money is tightening up within your industry or across the, the, the board. 
And you could ask questions like, you know, what's your marketing spend over the next two quarters, less, the same, more. It could be, you know, personnel itself. You know, are you having challenges getting people to transition back into the office? Are you having trouble defining a work culture? Are you potentially facing layoffs or, you know, those types of questions. And you can also sort of make it really specific questions with, you know, things that are trending specifically to your industry. So spend a little bit of time on the questions. And then once you've got those together, you know, maybe leave room for one or two crazy left field questions. You know, if I, if I could ever ask people in my industry, you know, a, a crazy question, what would it be? And put that at the end of the survey. So, you know, if they leave after completing three of the four pages, you still got 75% of their responses. But you often find that sometimes the unusual question is the one that really is mm. the most interesting one. And what you do is you look at the results after you've got the survey out there and you're going to figure out what were the aha moments in the survey? What were the, the surprises? And you're going to focus the press release on usually two to three of those questions that were the big aha moments. And you're going to put a quote in there of why you felt the numbers skewed a particular way. And because you're the expert here and a lot of people give me pushback that they don't have a database of people in their industry to send this to. But the thing is, there are many, many trade associations in every industry. Pick a smaller independent one. You know, generally 750 members or more is a good size and ask them if they will send the survey link to their members in exchange for you mentioning them in a release you'll be issuing over the wire. Most of the small and independent trade associations don't get a lot of love from the media. So they often will see this as a win-win, them being mentioned in the, in the press release. A few of them have asked if they could co-brand the survey. And I think as long as they're not, you know, they seem like they're good to work with, I don't see a problem with that. It just is a blending of credibility from them and you. And I don't see that as a major challenge, but it's really as simple as that. You know, the hard part's coming up with the questions and then analyzing the responses and trying to figure out what were the, the big surprises or aha moments and going from there. But I think that by doing that and then getting it out there to the media, it's going to really pique a journalist's interest because they're like, oh, my audience would really be interested in how many people right now in the industry feel a particular way on an issue. And, and that's a really great way to stand out. I love that. I love that very much. I think as we go through all of the different types of releases and pieces, and I know everybody's sort of, it's middle of November, so everyone's finishing their budgets and making their pitches. And I think one thing that would be helpful because in organizations we've worked with and talked with sometimes, you know, PR is, is one of those areas where you have to really make the case sometimes for the spending, especially if it's, you know, the economy isn't ideal. So talk a little bit about how we can set the expectations of the organization and how we can measure the impact of our sort of press efforts. Right. So I think that, you know, one of the big metrics that people always want is to know what the ROI is. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. you don't get to pick, you know, put tracking links in your press release yeah. that are going to remain, you know, journalists generally will just stick to the actual URL of the website or the product page. And in some cases, like the New York Times, they rarely ever include a link in it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's hard to determine if you get an article in the New York Times that all of a sudden you see a flurry of activity in sales and inquiries that you make the assumption that that was the cause, but you really don't have the direct relationship. So it, it is, you know, harder to measure. I think one of the things to do is to, you know, approach PR as something that is going to help and support your overall marketing efforts. For example, when you do get an article uh, someplace, naturally you're going to get some sales from it. But the other thing you can do is then take that same link 
and share it with your customers. Maybe put it in a newsletter. If you have a customer newsletter, also get it out onto your social media channels, as well as put it in front of your leads. You know, when someone reads an article, there is the social proof that happens because when a journalist chooses to write about you, it's almost like third party corroboration or implied endorsement. And it's a big boost of credibility. And often people feel great and they immediately want to go buy from that company. I have read articles about, you know, Kickstarter campaigns and I'm like, whoa, this is awesome and cool. I want to go buy from this company. And I don't open a new browser and say, is there something similar to this I can get on Amazon? Right. Yeah. No, I, that's... <laughs> I, that, that part of my brain goes out and I don't get suspicious like this is an ad. It's like that part of my brain is shut down. I just want to work with this company. And that's the same thing that happens when someone reads an article about you. So, you know, get that same article in front of your leads. There's always people who are on the fence about doing business with you. And maybe the equation was they were 49% of the way there, but they needed mm -hmm. to be 51%. That article could be, get you to 53, 54% and, you know, give you new customers that you were already working that would have been dead leads anyways. So that's a way in which it supports you. I had one client who was a carpet company in New Jersey. And they did a year campaign with me and we did five months of press releases that just did not work. And we were brainstorming. And one of the things that came up was who is their biggest enemy? And it was the big box home improvement stores. And I was like, mm. ooh, I like this. We can do a David versus Goliath thing and talk about the challenges of marketing against like a billion dollar company. And so we did, and we got picked up in lots of floor trade publications. At the end of the year, we had over 30 articles you know, most of them were for trade publications, which ironically, their customers do not read those, but just yeah. other, other carpet companies. But they were really smart. What they did was they put that together. It also had clippings from the local newspaper and New Jersey magazine. And they put that all in a bundle. And every time they went to give a quote to someone, they would say, hey, you know, we may not come in the cheapest, but we're really nationally recognized. Here we are mm -hmm. in Floor Cover Weekly. Mm -hmm. Here we are in this publication. Here we are in the local newspaper. Here we are in New Jersey Magazine. And I guarantee you that no one else that goes gives that uh, family a quote is going to have that kind of recognition. And as a result, they started converting, I think, between 14 and 17 percent more of these leads that they were working into customers. And that was like huge for them, hundreds of thousands of dollars in additional revenue as a result of just adding that to their sales process. And that same thing can work for anybody. So the more media attention that you get and media pickup, you want to preserve it on your website. You want to put it in front of your leads and customers because it will make it easier to convert people and it will make it easier to keep people. You got to think that people always shop every few years. Are we with the right vendors? Yep. And maybe because they see an article that you're in, they feel we don't have to do that this year. I'm pretty comfortable with we're with the right company. And so those are all some of the magical things that happen with PR that can really help a business establish itself as a brand, as well as increase your conversion rate. I think that's true. And I also think that like with B2B, we often have the sort of complex purchases, right? Lots of buyers and influencers in the sale. And, and so sometimes your direct buyer, the person using your product is really a big fan, but they also have to show that they've made the right decision, right? That, or that they're right. going to make the right decision. And I think that, again, that third-party press can be really powerful to help kind of lower the noise from some of those others, like the, the reviewers and the influencers who also can have that same level of confidence in your solution that your, that your primary buyer does. So it, not just for one, but it can really help the whole network. Right. 
All right, Mickey, we talked about lots of different things today and I've been taking a whole bunch of notes because there's lots of really good information here. But if you are going to have people listening do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? I think that one would be to try to see if you can find a place in your business for PR. You don't have to do it all at once and do a press release a month, but maybe you could find a natural flow with the cycle of your business as you come out with new products or refreshes, as you have milestones that you reach that you could incorporate a press release here and there. It doesn't have to be overwhelming or something that you do just to do a press release. I think those are the worst types of releases where you feel like, oh, it's our month, we have to do a press release. <laughs> and therefore they do a press release that's probably not meaningful. So just try to you know, figure out, are there natural milestones that you can start incorporating a press release and, and, and then get it out there. And then the second thing to realize is that you know the media is you know, really always hunting for a great story. And so how could you take what you're doing and package it as a great story by giving all the elements of a journalist's need to build a story arc? And if you can sort of reverse engineer from there, you're more likely to get media pickup again and again. But that being said, you know, a PR campaign is usually six to eight releases. It's not unusual for half of those to probably generate no earned media. But if you're doing it right, the other half should generate, you know, a decent amount. And as a result, at the end of the campaign, you've gotten, you know, maybe, you know, a dozen articles written about you over the year, which is just phenomenal. There are PR firms that charge 20 to 40,000 a year that don't even guarantee in, in one media pickup. So mm -hmm. if you if you take an approach and act strategically and with sort of the story arc in mind, I think that you will come away with a PR campaign where you do get some earned media. Absolutely. All right, Mickey, if people want to learn more from you or find you, where should I send them? Great. So my website's ereleases.com. All of our social media is on the lower right there. I do have a free masterclass. It's about an hour long. It's great for oh, people nice. who are approaching PR or just thinking about it. It's like doing an audit for your business of strategic types of releases that you could be doing. And it's available completely free at ereleases.com slash plan, P-L-A-N. And I recommend it for anybody who's new to PR, or just considering it, or just looking to get out of a rut where they've done releases that just didn't get media pickup. Excellent. All right, Mickey, thank you so much for joining me today. It was an absolute pleasure to hear your experience and insights. Oh, thank you. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>